I'd like to uh, introduce um, Charlie uh, Roland, who has probably little need of um, introduction. But um, you guys know that this is a new year uh, for us. And one of the first things that I noticed is like how rich this church is in people who can open up God's word in a faithful way. And Charlie is one of those guys. Uh, he is not only a gifted um, teacher, he is someone who has prepared himself. And uh, I've been working with Charlie just in, in um, planning some of the, the preaching schedule, and what I quickly noticed is his love for the Word of God. And I think that'll come across to you today. So we are starting a new series in First Peter, and uh, we'll be in it for uh, seven weeks. And uh, he is going to start us off with that. So I'm excited to hear what he has today. I'm going to invite Ginger Asher to read our scripture today. First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched in, in and... <laughs> searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which only angels long to look. Thank you, Ginger, Caleb, worship team, Wayne, appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I'm excited to open up God's word with you all. Here at Ogletown, like um, Evan was saying, we'll be working through the book of First Peter, and we'll be hearing from a few different voices from within the congregation as we work through it, verse by verse, section by section. I'm very excited for us all. Um, for our times, oh, got to start the timer. You don't want me to forget that. <laughs> um, I'm very excited for our time here. There, the book of First Peter has a variety of themes, and some of those are this, uh, suffering for doing good. So you do something right, and suffering happens. Peter's going to talk about that quite a lot, how we as Christians are supposed to live amidst uh, a time uh, or amidst a world that may reject us, 
uh, how to apply the end times, how to apply Judgment Day, heaven and hell, to right now. Um, so he's going to talk a lot about that. And lastly, the book is very Christocentric. He's often going to bring up just as Jesus did, just as Jesus did. And we're going to see, like, when you do these things, you're following in the example of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you over the next few weeks to study along with us and to pray for us. Uh, when you get a piece of mail uh, on the envelope, it often has who it's addressed to and who it's from. Very similarly, in the first two verses of this book, that's what we find. The first word of the book tells us who this was written by. This was written by Peter. Peter was one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, and of those 12, Jesus often drew three disciples in a little closer. It was like his inner circle. And you'll see that throughout the Gospels. There's a few situations, quite a few situations, where only three disciples were with him. And those three disciples were Peter, James, and John. So Peter was a really close disciple of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter, that wasn't his name at first. Um, his name was actually Simon. Um, and then Jesus Christ renamed him Peter. And that word comes from rock. And Jesus said, upon you, upon this rock, I will build my church. And we see that playing out very prevalently or prominently in the, in the book of Acts. In those first couple chapters, uh, Peter is playing a prominent leader role in the spread of Christianity. And so we see and know that Peter is a leader in the early church and was a close friend of Jesus Christ. You also see who the recipients are. It says, to those who are elect exiles. The term elect is referencing to their election to salvation the fact that they are Christians. Exiles, it's, it's not a mistake that it has exiles and elect right next to each other. They are elect in Jesus Christ, and they are exiles, rejected from this world. Uh, selected, but also rejected. Um, all throughout this, they're exiles because they suffer for their faith in a world that's going to ostracize them. Um, all throughout the letter, he will exhort these recipients to remain faithful under suffering. Uh, the recipients is a mixture of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, and at the time of the writing of this letter, uh, there's not national persecution happening, so people were not dying for their faith. But there is a there is some degree of persecution that's happening against them. The type of persecution that the recipients of this letter face is verbal slander, reproach, and false accusations. So there is a degree of persecution that the recipients of this letter are experiencing. We also see it says, of the dispersion, and then names a few areas that Ginger did so great at pronouncing. Uh, these areas are located in modern-day Turkey. And so these are churches in that area, and this is where this letter was supposed to circulate around. We also see Peter highlighting the triune work of God in our salvation. Look at this. He says, selected according to the foreknowledge of the Father, the God Father chooses through the work of the Holy Spirit by the, whole, um, by the blood of Jesus Christ. So verses 1 and 2 are typical of a letter during that time to say who it's from, who it is to, and then grace and peace be yours. 
This letter, like I said, would be circulated amongst um, local churches for exhortation and encouragement and instruction. It is from Peter to those churches, but it's important for us to remember, this book is written by the Holy Spirit, not only for them, but for our instruction and for our encouragement. As we dive into the body of um, what we're going to be looking at today, I want to give you a little bit of a forewarning. It's pretty dense. There's a lot packed into these verses right here at the beginning. If you're following along in your Bible app, I'll be reading from the ESV, and the verses coming up will be coming from the ESV. So we're going to take it slow through these verses. One of the reasons that this section is so packed is because there's a lot of declarative statements. One commentary um, talking about this section of Peter says, all the imperatives, all of the to-dos of the rest of the letter flow out of this section that we're looking at today. Essentially, what we're going to look at today is the foundation by which the rest of the letter is going to say, now, in view of that, do this and do that. Have you ever sat with an old friend or a spouse or a family member and that person told you, do you remember this time? I'm sure there was a few times over the past holidays that you recollected some memories and talked about a few things. And when, for you, when the person starts saying, do you remember, do you remember, it starts to bring up and jog your memory and you're like, oh, you're right. I I do remember that time. I do remember what exactly happened there. It may have been in the back of your mind, but that person stirred up your memory of that situation. That's what Peter is seeking to do here. He says in 2 Peter, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. He's going to be retelling a story. He's retelling the foundation of truth that all of us should be familiar with, but it may have gotten tucked back in our minds. The dominant theme that we're going to see today that Peter's going to be reminding us of is salvation. And it's helpful for us to, have, uh, to know what I mean when I say salvation. So, a helpful definition that I came across says, in essence, salvation is the act of saving or protecting from harm or destruction. In essence, salvation is the act of saving or protecting from harm or destruction, whether that danger be physical or spiritual, temporal or eternal. I I like this definition because it gives the full breadth of what salvation is including. It's, It's everything, every harmful thing, whether it be physical or spiritual, but it also shows at its core what salvation is, is a saving act. So, When you think of the Old Testament, you think of Noah. Oh, and I should also mention here, when we're looking at, uh, when we're looking at this portion of 1 Peter, he's going to be primarily talking about spiritual salvation. That's what this portion of 1 Peter is going to be referencing. But when you look in the Old Testament, you see Noah has been saved through an ark from destruction of the world. Or you think of the Israelites in Egypt and God provides for them salvation from their uh, oppressors and God gets them out of Egypt and frees them. 
So this is what salvation encompasses. And here in the book of 1 Peter, the type of salvation Peter's referring to is your souls have been saved from eternal spiritual destruction. Your entire being is saved from being in eternal torment. That's what he's going to be talking about. That's what he's referencing. These verses reveal four qualities of spiritual salvation that we're going to look at. Salvation is from God. Salvation is by faith. Salvation produces joy. And salvation is a privilege. So let's dive into the first one. Salvation is from God. In these verses, we see God's involvement in quite a few ways. Right at the beginning, we see according to his great mercy. It is not what is inside of us that we receive salvation. It is based on his great mercy. It's not something that we deserve. Every single person in this room, without exception, does not deserve salvation. We deserve God's wrath and judgment. Uh, Ephesians says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is sometimes hard for us to grasp because we're, many of us in this room, at least, um, we're pretty competent people. Most of us have jobs, we provide for others, we do good things. It's hard for us to remember that we don't deserve salvation. And instead, but, but the truth is, it's mercy. It's by God's mercy that we've received this. This flows out of who God is, not out of who we are. In a sense, mercy can be unjust because we're not given what we deserve. And we should remember that God is never unjust. It goes against his character. So we also see the means by which God gives us mercy. And that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The mercy is actualized in us because God's wrath is poured out on Jesus instead of on us. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is now showing us we have a living hope through that. Salvation has this idea of saving. We're saved from the wrath of God. But it also includes so much more. He not only doesn't punish us, but he gives us so much. See there right at the beginning, we're born again to a living hope. Our lives are not meaningless. We have hope and a mission for this life. And the means by which we'll be born again, we'll see later next week, is through the word of God. We are given an inheritance. It says, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. Stock markets crash, housing bubbles pop, business plans go south, earthly money gets inflated and then it's not worth as much money. But this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. It will never perish and isn't susceptible to be corrupted. It also says we are guarded by God's power. Not only is the inheritance kept safe, but our faith is sustained through God's power. We see that in verse 5. Who by God's power are guarded through faith. The, um, the famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, says, For still our ancient foe, the devil, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. The devil seeks for us to fail. He wants to see us not succeed. He wants to see our faith be shaken and we give up. That's why Jesus says to Peter, or Jesus says to Peter, uh, the devil seek to sift you like wheat. 
Um, I appreciated Wayne reminding us of the advocacy that Jesus Christ does on our behalf. So our faith is secured by God's power. So we see here first, we are given so much. Salvation is from God. I want you to think about uh, you're in the Christiana Mall parking lot and you have a Louisville Slugger bat and you just walk up to a car and smash every window out of that car. I don't know why, maybe you just don't like it. But you are fully responsible for smashing every window in that car. And then the owner comes out and the owner says, you know what, it's okay. I'll pay for all of those windows to get repaired. And not only that, here's $1,000. Have a good shopping spree. This is what God is doing to us. We are responsible and we deserve wrath, but he gives so much to us. He lavishes us with good gifts. This is how our salvation is. It's opposed to being from us. We don't secure our salvation. We don't procure our salvation. We aren't the judge. Instead, it's a gift from God. Ephesians also tells us, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. And what should arise out of us from knowing these are good gifts from God is exactly what says right at the beginning of verse 3. It should be praise for God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV says, praise be to God. Because he has given us all of these things. It's the proper response, praise. Pat Feger is going through 1 Peter in his class. And he said, um, he said these first couple of verses should produce in us a greater appreciation of salvation that's the goal. I 100% agree with him. This is why we sing at the beginning of services. This is why we sing at the end of services, because we're praising God out of thanksgiving for what he's done for us. So first, we see salvation is from God. Next, we'll see the means of salvation. Salvation is by faith. So right here in verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And he shares with us why these have come. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The conduit to receive salvation is faith. We are saved by faith. Sometimes faith can be like an obscure word, so I want to provide some synonyms just so we can understand what is encompassed with the word faith. Synonym or similar words are trust, belief, hope in, cleaving to, taking refuge in, leaning on, personal trust and confidence. And what is being focused on in these verses is this. Is that faith, is that trust, or is that belief genuine? It, under pressure, is it going to crack and then they won't actually have faith in the object anymore? Or will they remain faithful even under pressure? I'm not a jeweler, um, and maybe this was basic knowledge, but I just missed it. But I learned a little bit about gold this past week because that's the example that uh, Peter brings up here. Gold is a metal that found in its natural habitat 
will have impurities or dross in it. And so to purify the gold, you use fire. In ancient times, this form of refining involved a craftsman sitting next to a hot fire in excess of 18, or 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, sitting next to a hot fire with liquefied gold being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities or dross that rose to the top. And this is what Peter is contrasting our faith with. He's saying, he's using a lesser to greater argument. If gold, which is so precious, has to be purified through fire, how much more will your faith have to be purified through trials? Um, and, and he even says, gold perishes. It's not eternal. Your faith is eternal. We have a, uh, a, a pinnacle, uh, or our genuine faith will be tested. It will be tried. And Lord willing, it will be purified. The trials, the suffering, and the time here on earth is a display of genuine faith. We have a lengthy account of someone's faith being tested in the Bible. Um, his name is Job. Um, he's in the Old Testament. And what happens is Satan comes to God and says, the only reason that Job has faith in you, God, is because you've blessed him. If you take away all of his blessings, he'll curse you to your face. His faith is not genuine. Trust me, if you take away his uh, blessings, the guy will um, crumble. And so God allows it. And so one day, Job gets four messengers that come to him. The first messenger comes to Job and says, all of your sheep, all of your servants have died. The second, um, or have been stolen or killed. The second messenger comes and says, all of your camels and all of your servants have been destroyed. Third messenger says, all of the goats are destroyed. Lastly, the fourth messenger comes and says, all of your children have died. So all of his wealth, everything he owns, and all of his family are taken from him. And Job responds in verses 20 of um, Job chapter 1. He says, Job arose, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped God. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. His faith was tested through a fiery trial, and it proved to be genuine. There are many people in this congregation who have gone through trials like Job, have lived through unthinkable times of sorrow and agony, and which has tested your faith and many of you are still here this morning, still showing up, still loving the Lord, still loving others. And brothers or sisters, to those who are doing that, I want to encourage you, just as Peter says here, just as God says to us in verse 7, that genuine faith will be found to result in praise, honor, and glory one day in the future. There is a day fixed in time that cannot be altered that we will all stand before him 
And that genuine faith is shown to be precious in the sight of God. And so I encourage you to continue persevering through hard times and trials, knowing that it is worth it. And Peter is saying here, it will be shown to result in praise, honor, and glory at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We not only see that salvation is from God, salvation is by faith, but we also see in these verses, salvation produces in us joy. Salvation produces in us joy. Right here, again, at the, in verse 6, he begins by saying, in this you rejoice. Further down in verse 8, he says, though you've not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and it's filled with glory. The salvation we receive from God by faith produces in us a joy. The joy and rejoicing from this passage arises because of what awaits us, which I've already referenced. We often do this, we, we look ahead to the weekend, we look ahead to a holiday, we look ahead to a vacation, to a time where there'll be less stress. Joy can be experienced now because of the new life, the living hope that we've been giving, and because of what is going, going to come. I also think it's interesting, it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting for us to see that Peter is very realistic. He doesn't just say, no, there's no grieving, no being sad ever. You just have to be joyful all the time. No, he's, he, he is experiencing the full range of emotions, and he tells us even in verse 6, you've been grieved by various trials. So joy and grieving sometimes can be happening simultaneously. But I didn't know this. I, I don't know the Greek that well. I don't know the original language that well. But both of these original both of the original words here are the same words used in 2 Corinthians when we read the famous verse, um, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So Peter here is, is saying you can be grieved by various trials and you can also experience joy at the same time. And I think it's important for us to know that. The final aspect of salvation that I want us to see this morning is in verses 10 through 12. And it is that salvation is a privilege. Salvation is a privilege. I have the privilege of working from home pretty often. Um, I don't have to go into the office too often. I work from home about 80% of the time. But every now and again, when I do have to go to the office, it's a little more than an hour-long drive. It's in like southeast Baltimore near Annapolis. And I remember one day after I was coming back from the office, I was with some friends, and I was probably complaining, but you know, I was like, whew, such a long day, you know, I had to go to the office, man, such a long drive, and maybe coming across as complaining, and there was a friend, lo and behold, there was a gentleman in the room, a friend who was older than I was, and he said to me, oh, you, you drove that long one day this week? I, I have to drive that long every day for 20 years. I remember pretty quickly I was like humbled and like, okay, <laughs> going to keep my mouth shut here. I was really humbled and reminded of the privilege that I have to be able to work from home so often when I was contrasted with, with a different scenario. What we're going to see here is that the magnitude of our salvation 
when we look at it through the lenses of the prophets and the angels. So first, what Peter references is the prophets. He says, the grace that has been revealed to us. So when we say the prophets, think of Elijah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Zephaniah, all the Old Testament prophets that make up those books. What it says is that they inquired, they were searching and inquired and carefully as to what person or the time that the Spirit of God in them was um, indicating. So what they're doing is they are asking themselves and looking inside saying, who is it? When is it going to happen? When is it that the promised Messiah is going to come? And so they're wondering inside of themselves, when is it that this Messiah is going to come and reconcile us to God and the glories that will follow after? So they're longing to see how this happens. And it was revealed to them that that the Old Testament prophecies, the word of God, is not primarily for them, but for us who now see the full picture. We can fully understand how all of the Old Testament fits in God's salvation history because of Jesus Christ. Jesus reflects on this truth in Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 13, to people who now have, because he is the Messiah, to people who now see him, he's saying, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. The blessing an advantage that we have under Christ is that we have the full story. We know how God reconnects with sinful, um, sinful people. So we have a privilege over the prophets. We also, with the other person, the other party that's mentioned here, is the angels. It says, things into which the angels long to look. The angels are constantly, or not constantly, but often in the presence of God. They behold his glory in a different way than we do. They see him. And the things mentioned, the things that they're looking into, is the gospel. It is salvation. And and it's probably important for us to realize, too, that angels don't experience salvation. There is no gospel for angels. Uh, Jude tells us, Jude's in, in Jude uh, verse 6, it says, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, that would be angels who sinned against God, these are kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So there is no salvation plan. There is no chance for those who sinned against God as an angel for them to come and be in his presence again. They sinned once and there's no salvation for them. And the longing to look here is not a confusion or a misunderstanding. They're like, I just don't understand how salvation works. That's not actually what's intended here. The word is meant to convey a gazing, a fascination. One commentary says, they marvel when gazing upon what God has done in 
Christ. They marvel at the process of salvation in sinful people and how sinful people can be reconciled to a holy, just God. The prophets foretold and searched intently as to what was happening, and the angels look attentively at the salvation at work in us. These are two groups of people that are amazed at the privilege of salvation that we have received. Just as I um, didn't see the privileges that I have been awarded until I was juxtaposed against someone else, I would encourage us that this is helpful for us to do. We may not feel the privilege until we contrast it with others. Maybe those who weren't raised in Christian homes or maybe those who don't have the Bible in their native tongue. It is wise for us to see that we have a privileged position of knowing the gospel and knowing um, who Jesus Christ is. And as we come to a close here, I actually want to address anyone who doesn't claim to be a Christian. Any, anything here that you're like, I want to partake in that, or I haven't partaken in that, I want to review what we've said. This is, uh, in, in verse 10, he talks about this being good news. I want to review this good news. What we've been talking about is good news that God is the creator overall and that, and that salvation comes from him. We by nature are sinful and responsible and we're in need of God's mercy over us. Salvation flows from him and the conduit is by faith. The faith is a trusting reliance on what he has said. Chiefly, we see this in his word, that he sent Jesus as a sacrifice for us. And that if we trust in him, the forgiveness of sins can be actualized in our lives. This is the response that God is looking for from you and from me and anyone who hasn't trusted in Christ. And so I would ask you, friend, to trust in him. The faith is genuine. It is valuable. It will be tried and it will be tested. And Lord willing, it will remain true. And it produces in us this genuine faith that not only produces in us joy, Peter primarily is talking about joy here, but genuine faith produces so much more than joy. It produces obedience and um, repentance sometimes, love for others and love for neighbor. And all of this is a privilege. And that we then out of um, the, we now reflect his image, we build his kingdom, and we don't do this out of duty, but out of love for God. Friend, I hope if you hear this, that you would place your trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, as you've said earlier, the proper response to all of these things is praise and thanksgiving to you. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to be grateful for all that you have poured out over us. Help us to be thankful and appreciate the salvation that you have provided. Would you impress this truth upon our hearts and would you remind us of it day by day, hour by hour? And would you fulfill us anew? Um, would you fulfill us anew toward uh, these things? Father, I'm very thankful for the myriads of people, dozens of people that have helped make this morning possible. And Lord, would you give us each strength to continue working for you? Uh, Father, we are thankful that you sent your son as an advocate, as an intercessor for us. 
And we ask these things in the great and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.